great to have you on. How are you doing? Yeah, all good, thank you. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. I think this is going to be a really cool conversation because what we're going to talk about is how the power of building a movement before you launch a product really helps you, well, fingers crossed, find that trajectory that we're all looking for, right? that maximum growth and the maximum return in the business. And I want to start with your story, your background. It's a really interesting story for people that haven't already followed you through your journey of LinkedIn and growing um, you know, the most luxurious uh, cup company in Britain. Um, and I want to talk to you about your school. So how, did, how was school for you? you know, what was your background? Um, how did you find coming up through the school system? And then how did you take that decision to, to, to sort of jump into entrepreneurship? Yeah, so school was pretty normal for me in regards to friendships, everything like that. Um, you know, I was quite lucky that I've got a twin brother and I went to school with my twin brother as well. Um, so, you know, going into a new high school, I always had someone that I knew, knew going into there. But academically, um, yeah, that was a big struggle for me. I kind of, you know, subjects that I didn't really find kind of interesting, um, kind of like English and things like that was a massive struggle for me. Um, not just for the fact I didn't find any interest, but also um, finding later on down the line that I was actually dyslexic. Um, so yeah, going through school, uh, leaving high school with actually no English qualifications whatsoever. Um, and then obviously comparing myself to my twin brother, who's now working at Microsoft, um, a, a star student, a student. Uh, yeah, it was a bit of a challenge for me. Wow, that's amazing. That's it's it's not it's not common that we have someone to completely like compare ourselves to, like a twin, someone that's actually running side by side has had exactly the same start in life, right? That's a that's an odd one. So, at what point did you start to think maybe entrepreneurship is the way for me, or was it like a out of necessity where you didn't think there was another option for you? It was actually a bit of both. I think I've grown up in a in a family with you know my dad runs a business and also my brother runs his own business. Um, so leaving school without any English qualifications whatsoever, it was kind of no one was taking me under their wing. Um, kind of all the jobs I was applying for, um, I got rejected uh, the majority of the time. Um, so it was actually the only last option for me was to just go and work for my dad in the family business um, and kind of build my way up there. But the more, I think I oh, what two years I was working there for, and it just wasn't wasn't my my cup of tea um so yeah i looked kind of elsewhere and started posting a bit on linkedin um and it kind of yeah went went from there really of you know i want to build something for myself i don't want to be that that person that works for his dad his whole life and yeah press posts and what nearly a year and a, just over a year and a half into the linkedin journey and documenting it and it's yeah only gone up really so this is awesome. So we connected probably about eight months ago, right? Through through yeah. LinkedIn. So this is why I think the whole journey that we're going to talk about is so interesting and exciting because you're building something that hasn't launched yet. You've been building it for well over a year. And alongside you've been doing the, the classic Gary V sort of um, <laughs> document don't create thing alongside it, right? Telling your story. But you've chosen to do it on a platform that inherently was for professionals, you know, it has changed massively, but I came across you when you had a post that went effectively viral, right? You had, I, I assume now probably millions of impressions on it, L loads of likes, loads of comments. And, and that's how sort of I found you, but you'd already had an incredible following before that. And you're up to, as of today, like 23 and a half thousand people. So I guess my question is, who is the person behind 
the brand of Cupsley. Like, you know, you've touched on school there. You've touched on a little bit on your entrepreneurship journey, but it must have been a bit bumpy in the last two years. I'd love to hear a bit more about sort of who you are and how this has sort of molded you. So I think I've been the person that's never really found my true self, uh, you know, always wanting to be like other people, um, caring what other people thought. And I think putting myself out there, I was always scared to kind of document the journey and to let everyone inside to see who I am as a real person. Um, but the moment I did that is the moment like my whole life changed. Um, you know, meeting people like yourself, um, you know, other amazing people on LinkedIn. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's been a moment of always being doubted or doubting myself my whole life to now being someone who's not moaning, not doubting, but just getting after it. I think that was a big shift for me. Um, I think obviously the school pushing back onto obviously growing up, you know, taking my English exam seven times and failing seven times, it's, it does have a knock on effect on you. And yeah, I think it's just being able to appreciate who I am now is I think a big, big learning curve for me and not trying to be someone I'm not like I used to. So, yeah. Well, you know, they say that like entrepreneurship is the harshest form of self-development, right? And if you've started that straight out of school and you've, you know, you work for your dad for a bit and you've had to sort of come up this, this sort of path and learn and, and you're, uh, you're very good at putting a lot of content into the world of, of LinkedIn. That's very valuable. A lot of it's valuable. Everything's valuable. There's nothing on there that's sort of, you just posted it for the sake of it. It's always adding value. And um, I don't think you'll mind me saying that failing fast is probably one of the best traits that I see in you. And, and I try to do myself. Like the quicker you can fail, the faster you learn. So people might think, think, you know, oh, that was a fail. That's not worked as well. But ultimately, you've got the data and you can then grow faster than anyone around you. And I want to touch on there what you mentioned about uh, finding out that you're dyslexic because LinkedIn is inherently a platform that you write on it's written people try videos yeah. and they do work but as a content strategy written with pictures like a combination of formal and informal tend to work a bit better so how have you got how have you overcome or worked around um, your dyslexia to allow yourself to to find your voice on linkedin yeah so for some reason my brain works differently to others where if i'm writing I'm struggling, but if I'm typing, it's a dis completely different story. And I've got Grammarly to thank for that as well. Um, but growing up, when I found out I was actually dyslexic, um, they actually allowed me to use my laptop within my uh, GCSE exam on the eighth time. And I actually passed when I do, uh, when I use my laptop. So it's finding solutions to the problems you've got, which I think goes back into the, the startup journey that I've been as well. You know, I used to moan and always complain about the things that aren't going my way, but now I'm always looking for the, looking for the solution to the problem instead of moaning about the problem I've got. And, you know, it's a patience game. Sometimes you're going to figure it out straight away. Sometimes it's going to take you a year, which we've, which we've figured out in Cupsley, but I think, yeah, it's just being patient with trying to solve the problems that you've got and not stressing too much, you know, there and then. Think about the long-term, the long-term vision. So it's such a great story. And you were touching before we started recording that you've 
you've you've spoken to people on LinkedIn that helped you to start documenting, right? You just started putting things out there that were just showing what you were talking about. Do you think that's something that more people should be trying to do? Because you've been invited to like the LinkedIn headquarters, right? And you've been you've been amongst a lot of amazing creators on LinkedIn. So how do you think you know the platform has changed? Or maybe it hasn't from when you started eighteen months ago, whatever it was, to now. Yeah, so it's getting a much bigger creative platform now where, you know, it is getting more personal and less business. Um, and I think that's the way business is going now. You know, I think, you, mm. you know, five, 10 years, it's going to be, you're going to have the business owners that are going to need to grow the personal brand, but you're also going to have the employees that are going to be the face of the brand also. So I think that's the direction it's going in. But like you mentioned, I've had people that, have helped me from from day one um i started cupsy back in june 2022 and you know it's been nearly two years but i only started documenting the journey about six to eight months ago and the whole reason i did that was because a guy called andreas johnson um, the founder of shield um he was no you've got to document it you've got to document it and being kind of the startup founder i was i was you know, scared to put anything out into the world. You know, what if someone steals this? What if someone, I don't know, doesn't like it? What if I'm not attracting the right people? But the moment I started telling the journey, you know, not just the positives, but the real, really like the downside, you know, I'm here now and this is my family home that I'm building a start from. And I shared that and it resonated with a lot of people of, you know, it's not about having these massive skyscraper offices in London. You know, I'm in a little literally a little box office just trying to build something and i think that really really resonated with a lot of people and um, you know the emotional connections there because you'll be surprised that a lot of people are actually in your exact same positions you're in yourself now um but they're too scared to actually speak up or they're too scared to be that little bit vulnerable but vulnerability is where that that connection's formed and where people really buy into you as a as a person but also your story Completely. And, and it's so authentic. And that's the exact post. We're talking about the same one where we were talking about earlier, where you're sat in your bedroom and talking about the hardship of, of the yep. startup world. And it's the one that I saw so much engagement with because it was so raw for so many people. You know, there's a difference between being aspirational and relatable. I think you've hit the nail on the head there where people follow you because you're relatable, but also you've got that authority of like, this is what a startup is like. And yeah. people know that you're going to be like on Dragon's Den. They know Cupsy is going to be a success, so they can feel it and they want to be part of it. And that sort of relates to my question because I think a lot of entrepreneurship is around mindset and you've talked about this quite a yeah. lot on your feed as well. And so how was the, how has your mindset in entrepreneurship been um, helped or maybe not helped? From your family having a, a business, your dad running a business and growing up with entrepreneurship close to home. This is a touchy one for me, um, but it's a, it's a really kind of good story. I haven't always had the support from the family that I've got around me. Like they love me and 100% support me, but they didn't really see eye to eye with the vision mm. that I was building. Um, they have mentioned a couple of times that maybe it wasn't going to work. Um, you know, they just couldn't see what I saw. Um, but you know, as we've documented the journey, um, you know, people have actually, the people that did doubt me in the start have actually come and said, you know, I've gone from non-believer to believer just through obviously building up kind of behind the scenes of what it actually takes to build a startup kind of 
the mindset of because I've run businesses in the past where I have given up. I've given up way too soon. You know, three months in, um, and, it, and it's gone. It's gone wrong. But this one, I really believe in. Mm. Do you know, like I said earlier, we're nearly two years in, and I think that's been the, been the shift in mindset of we're so close, but we're still so far away. Of being able to be patient and just enjoying the process of creating a business. And, you know, seeing my family now who are 100% in it, they've seen kind of the community we've built, the people that are following along. Um, and yeah, it's just proved to them that I'm, I'm capable of it, which I think a lot of people are going through something similar of, and they haven't got that, that network and that, that family that support them. But, you know, sharing my journey on LinkedIn has brought me other people that are fully engrossed and fully supportive in that aspect. So, yeah, it's been exciting, though. It's been exciting to prove them wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's amazing. And then it leads me on to why LinkedIn? Out of all the platforms, you know, you're a young guy. You'd have thought you'd have gone for, uh, like, TikTok if it was... I think TikTok was around, wasn't it, when you were starting? Yeah, or TikTok Instagram was around. Or yeah. Facebook. But you went for LinkedIn, which maybe you were ahead of the, of the curve where you knew, you know, even two or three years ago, it wasn't actually the grey-haired sort of place that people <laughs> thought it was. Um, but yeah, why LinkedIn? If I'm being totally honest, I hate being in front of the camera. Um, so sure. kind of doing the videos and TikTok like that, it wasn't my kind of cup of tea. Uh, but LinkedIn felt, you know, I was hearing a lot of people saying it's getting more creative, you know, there's more people coming to it. It's not just that business platform. And when I actually first joined, you know, the first three to four weeks, it was all business. You know, I was scrolling the feed, seeing all the old corporate lifestyle that you would normally see. But when I started actually engaging with the right people, you know, other staff founders, other, you know, high achievers who, you know, want to do something with their, with their career or with their life, I've started seeing a lot more people that, you know, I connected with personally, you know, sharing photos, sharing behind the scenes, sharing videos of them documenting the journey. I think that's how probably me and you met as well. Like you mentioned mm, earlier, yeah. just, you know, so that was the reason I wanted to jump on it was it was getting, becoming that creator platform that it is. And like you mentioned, Gary V, he was always on about it. In 2022, it was jump on LinkedIn, jump on LinkedIn. It's going to be the next thing. Yeah. So I just gambled. I think my first actual post was reviewing Gary V's book. No way. I think I just like, yeah, just listed five things about it. And I was just like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to press post. And I was actually sat in the front office of my dad's of my dad's factory unit and i just sat there going do you know what i'm just gonna do it i've just pressed post and then i just walked away and just did it walked away I, there's so many people that do that still isn't there sort of fire and forget and they go oh yeah. either it hasn't worked or maybe it did work it's one of those things isn't it a mindset thing um we talked about it a little bit and i really want to touch on it a bit more people that are wondering what what's cupsley why do they keep saying cupsley I would love to hear a bit of a background about where the idea came from and a bit about what it is, what the vision is. Yeah, so Cupsley is Britain's new luxury coffee brand, um, which we're firstly bringing out a luxury reusable cup. Um, the idea actually stemmed from a problem that I've had uh, personally. I've been a massive, massive coffee lover for the past five years. And I was on my normal commute, uh, ended up in Costa and was like, Right, I need a reusable cup because, you know, I'm getting daily coffee every single day. And, you know, the, the data that we've seen as well is, you know, one billion cups every year go to landfill. Um, and I wanted to do my my little part to, to you know, to help 
preserve the planet. Um, so I looked at the reusable cups and they were just also just simple, a bit ugly, a bit, you know, just a metal kind of brick really. Um, so I wanted to create something that, you know, was luxury, was fashionable, more a fashion accessory than a cup. Um, and that's where the the idea came from, was just literally standing in Costa, not seeing anything I liked, um, and then reaching out to all my friends going, would you, would you, like, is this idea worthy of a try? And people saying, yeah, give it a shot. And that's where we've, we've been building. And it's so cool that you've been building it from that as an idea first, because... I used to work in product, right? And my, my old boss, he would say, just make something first, you know, make have an idea and then start to make sort of, I, I say make the thing first. He actually, what he'd mean is get the data first, right? Build the audience, get the data, then just test something out. And that's exactly what you're doing. You're literally building the audience. Yeah. And what it feels like you're doing is building that, almost building the persona out, someone that you knew wanted to solve this problem or have this problem solved. And then you're creating that sort of buzz and that movement of, there could be this luxury like fashion accessory that coffee lovers have. So you can imagine people walking through London and if they're not holding a Cupsley cup, they're missing out or people are wondering. And that's what I feel is what you're doing. Is that, is that sort of what, what you want to achieve? Yeah, 100%. You know, the thing that's been with us throughout this whole process is, you know, sustainability is only getting more and more important and popular. But if we want to make, you know, sustainability more attractive, um, you know, we must make all the product look and feel good. And that was kind of the process of, you know, I'm someone who, you know, I do care about my appearance. I do care about kind of the way I look and things like that. So if we can make something that feels more, you know, when people are holding it, when people are using it, it looks good, you know, aesthetically, but it also functions and feels good as well. You know, we're onto, uh, hopefully we're onto something that people genuinely care about and, you know, people will buy into, um, so yeah, hopefully we'll see some people walk in the streets of London with a Cupsy Cup in the next couple of months, hopefully. Amazing. Yeah, so I mean, there's no launch. Are we going to talk about launches or is it still very much hush-hush? So launching, you know, we are hoping within around four months we should have something on the market. Um, you know what these startups are like. Something always yeah. goes goes wrong. So we're aiming for four months. Um, it could be slightly after, could be slightly before. But yeah, roughly around the middle of 2024 is hopefully when we'll launch and see how, see how it goes. Mega. So just talk me through your process, your thought process and your, the actual process, the physical process of your in Costa, you've started to gather the data from your friends, probably from a few more people, you know, people that have got businesses. What's the next stage for you? So obviously you started to look at how you could market it and how you could get some more data, but ultimately you have to start thinking about what it's going to look like, how you're going to produce, manufacture or white label. How did that all start to take action? Yeah. So obviously once I clarified the idea and people kind of thought it could be a, a reasonable, you know, reasonable idea, I literally just went on Pinterest and started looking different kind of models of cups of, you know, Apple was actually a big inspiration here as well. You know, not just looking in the industry that we're aiming to go into, but also looking at the industry you know, where, you know, Microsoft, Apple, the big tech giants are building some cool things like the Apple HomePod, the Google HomePod, all them kind of things. And it was just kind of making a mood board of inspiration that we could work with. Um, and then I actually went to my dad who runs a manufacturing business himself um, and basically asked him, you know, have you got any designers who would be willing to help us out? And he, he gave us one, um, won't say his name, um, 
and we reached out to him and we just started the first design but unfortunately it wasn't the design that we chose it i think i didn't do my research on that aspect of i go straight in dive straight in with the first designer that i seen without looking at anything they've done previously um and that was my fault and it, unfortunately it backfired on us and we had to choose a different designer um, but th that was a massive lesson for us was do the research with the people that you want to work with um, because a lot of people will be closed-minded to the idea um, won't think bigger than you really want to think um, and I just remember the process of obviously speaking to these first designers and they handed us the first concept um, and we looked at it and we we were not overly impressed, but we were thinking, okay, it's an, it's a start. And we sent it to our research group because that, throughout the whole process, we've had around 30 people um, that have been through the whole journey with us from, you know, kind of the idea through the first concepts, inspiration, everything like that. And we sent it to one of the person and one person in our research group. And I remember she came back and was like, you cannot take this to market. Like, <laughs> this is, this is awful. Um, and that was the moment we kind of went back to the design team and said, you know, we haven't got the feedback that we wanted you know we need to think think bigger and better and then saying this is impossible to change like we can't do it for you um and that's when the actual process started all over again of us going to find a new designer um and we've been with the new people ever since which is exciting that's, and it, it must be that you must have learned a lot in this process in terms of like you probably had this idea, as many of us do, you have that fun idea, that's a really fun part of business. And you're like, this is the financial plan, hopefully we're gonna get this strategy and it's gonna work and we're gonna build some stuff up. But in between, you've gotta do all this, this research, you've gotta do all this, these touch points with the different groups and stuff. That's a really cool process that you've already been through. So I'd love to hear some of the almost pitfalls or struggles that you've probably already documented on your sort of your journey. Just what has been the hardest or the least enjoyable bit for you as an entrepreneur? Because we all have these different geniuses of things we like to do and things we don't. So which elements have been the sort of the most draining for you? I think I'm a person who loves getting creative, loves building something from nothing to something. But when you get to a stage of kind of you're near the end of the process, but you're not near the end of the process, you're, you're relying on a lot of people because what we did, you know, I tried in the past doing everything on myself, um, tried to be in, involved in every single bit of detail, everything like that. And I loved it, but now it's kind of taken a step back. Obviously we've got a team now around us of designers, you know, my co-founder, Rachel, who's heading up the marketing aspect of the business. Um, so it's kind of trying to just take a step back slightly and just being patient with what they're doing and allowing them to get after it because it's all good watching over people's shoulders, but that's mm -hmm. kind of not the culture I want to build. You know, I've thankfully Rachel came on board and, you know, I looked up to her as a marketeer. So now it's up to me to trust, to trust Rachel to go and do it. And the same with Tana and Alex on the alloy. Um, so I think it's just that patience and trusting in the team. That's been the hardest for me, uh, but something I'm learning, I'm learning massively. Um, so, yeah. And what's your communication been like? What, since the team has started to grow and you started to have a bit more traction around, you know, um, people are definitely going to buy this if we can get it right in, in the market. What's your communication been like there? How have you dealt with a sort of, I need to talk to these people, but not too much. I need to manage, but not micromanage. How have you, how have you developed yourself through that process? I think it's trial and error. Uh, like anything in kind of business and starting up, you, 
you'll make mistakes and they'll probably tell you about it. If you've got real people who kind of trust you and you know, they're, they're one of the best in the business, they will, they will speak up when they need to speak up. And, you know, Rachel and I, we've never seen, never, I say never, we've had our kind of pitfalls of, we didn't agree with certain aspects. Um, but at the end of the day, we always know kind of the end vision of what we want to achieve. So that's always been the, been the end goal. You know, we can try something, but if we're trying something, let's be all in, go for it. No matter if it fails, no matter if it works, if we've got that idea, let's just go for it. So I think it's just trial and error of finding how people work best because everyone's got different personalities as well. And that's mm. something that I'm learning. Um, some people love the communication all the time, but some people like to just get on with it for a week and then they'll come back to you with all their information that I've got. So it's just trying to find how people work and then adapting yourself around them. Mm. And you mentioned Rachel there. So she's come on board as a co-founder, but she wasn't there at the start. That's right. Am I right in saying that? Yeah. So in obviously in June, 2022, I kind of came up with the idea and the name and everything like that. And obviously Rachel runs a great kind of marketing and media brand called because of marketing. And I was watching her journey similar to mine, actually, that she's, you know, she's still living at a parent. She's building a massive kind of community. Um, I think it's around 300,000 now followers mm -hmm. between her kind of all of her platforms. And I was watching her break down these campaigns and I was going like, wow, this is like the detail of everything that she goes through is matters to her. Mm. And that's kind of similar to us, like the smallest details matter to us in Cupsley, because I think everyone overlooks the small details, but the small details build the really, really big details. Um, and that's something that, you know, I looked up to her for as well, of how she broke down the campaigns into these really, really finer details. And I remember going, she's never going to respond to me on LinkedIn. She's never going to respond to me. I was just, I was a little fish then. And, you know, I think I had probably around three or 4,000 followers on LinkedIn at that moment. And I remember reaching out to her on Instagram. I found her on Instagram and I was going, all right, let's just do it. And I literally said, hi, um, I've got a business idea. Do you mind jumping on a call? And that's pretty much all I said. And she came back and we jumped on the call there and then. Um, um kind of on the same day, I think it was about an hour, two hours after I sent the message and we jumped on the call and she, she loved the idea. Um, but the, when we first had the call, it wasn't, I want a co-founder. It was, I want to work with her. She's like genius at marketing. Mm -hmm. Um, but the longer we started having conversations and she was messaging me all the time going, look at this idea. I think we could do this. I think we could do that. Um, I needed her on board. I'm not, I'm nothing kind of marketing is my kind of weakness. I'm more into creative brand kind of back end of things. Um, and yeah, I remember asking us to be co-founder and in December, so six months after I founded it, she said, yeah, let's do it. And we, we've been there ever since. So yeah, it's been cool. That's mega. That's a really cool way. And again, the power of LinkedIn, right. To bring people together. That's yeah. so cool. Um, so how important to you and Cuxley and of course, Rachel, how important is the value and the mission that you're on, the values that you've created for Cuxley? but also bringing the team together and then having that mission laid out of where you want to go and how you see it. How important is that in the grand scheme of things? Yeah. So it's massive. So we've, we've done it in a kind of, we want to be eventually a full coffee brand within the next 10 years. You know, we want to probably 10 to 20 actually have our own coffee stores, all things like that. Um, but we're really focusing on how we can make a different experience than the coffee stores currently. Um, but like I said, that's a big, big vision for us. Um, but the little stages of, you know, the mission for Cupsy Cup at the moment is obviously we want to craft a luxury music cup that's 
you know, we want to elevate it into a fashion accessory, you know, something that people care about. So I think going back onto what, what we said with the mission is just making sure we genuinely care about everything we do within the back end of the brand, you know, because I think a lot of people, it's easy to put on a front and be like, oh yeah, we, we're so good at this. But then behind the scenes with the team, with the culture, with the manufacturers, you know, it's not all up to scratch where you, where you want to be. And that's something that we're focusing on massively. We actually flew someone um, over to our manufacturers to visit them just before we finalized a contract with them, just to make sure everything was the way we wanted it. You know, the staff were getting treated well there. Everything mm. was up to scratch. Um, so yeah, with that, it's, yeah, just making sure we're doing everything we possibly can um, and making sure it's all, all good. Yeah, it's mega. So it already sounds like the culture and the, you know, the vision and the mission, the brand and the team are all super aligned with what you want to achieve. And it's so cool that you've got your 10 year, 20 year sort of moonshot of where you want to be. It makes everyone sort of makes you want to lean in a bit more. And that magnetism really starts to get even more powerful. Um, for us, sort of layman's in the sort of coffee world, I love coffee. I've, I've, yeah. quote, I'm a coffee snob, but to me, like, how do you describe the Cupsley Cup? You know, you're talking about the detail and the, the thought that's gone into it. How do you how do you describe it as different to someone who would just put some cups together and just probably pick out one by colour? What's the what's the, the, the sort of the difference behind it for you? Yeah, so I think looking at kind of the other kind of companies and brands that are in this space, you know, they are all on the the outdoors, the travel, the everything like that where we're positioning ourselves as, you know, high-end luxury fashion. And that starts from making the appearance and the functionality the best it can be. You know, I touched on that a bit earlier, but we want people to feel good and also look good when they're using it. You know, they want to use it in photos when they're taking really aesthetic pictures. You know, everyone cares about it nowadays, but getting that one really crisp aesthetic photo and something that, you know, is a statement piece. We want people to walk in, to a coffee shop, to a meeting in the boardroom, um, anything like that, to the gym. And it's like, yeah, I've got this. And this is this is a statement piece for them. Because something we've touched on massively as well is this is something that hopefully people can have for three to five years throughout their journey. Um, and the people that we're kind of looking up to is kind of the 1%, the high achievers, the people who really want to do great things within their within their life, within their career. And we want this cup to start from them, I don't know, when they're an apprentice. So it goes through their journey, but also to when they got that first job, also to when they became their CEO. So when they actually look at it, it brings back a lot of memories as well of, you know, I had this cup when I was the apprentice, but now I've got the cup when I'm the CEO. So it's kind of a flashback of their of their journey to where they are as well, to the success. I think it's, I think it's so cool. It sort of speaks for so much more than... Than anything else, if it's the best product on the market, but it's got that movement behind it of something that speaks for so much more, I think that's amazing. And and so, what do you think has been the biggest breakthrough on your journey, your sort of first time product startup journey? Right, what's been the biggest breakthrough in the last couple of years for you, where you've gone, wow, I can now see a bit clearer on what's happening. I think one comment on an actual post that I did was kind of sold it for me. They they commented saying. I never saw the vision of what you were doing, 
but now I see you competing against Starbucks within the coffee space and all like being the, the fashion brand you are. And that was a really big thing for me of, okay, people are knowing that we're, we're being really serious about this, you know, everything matters. Um, and I think that was a breakthrough for me. And also when, uh, my family said, obviously they went from non-believers to believers. I think that was a moment where I did have a little smile in, in the back going, yeah, 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 I got this. But I think we're still so far away and that's, that's the big thing for us. You know, I want to be, I've, I really believe in it, but we've still got so much work to do to get it out there and to get it in the right places. Um, so yeah, we're just going to keep working every day and see if we can, we can make something of it. What's been the most helpful bit of advice you've been given on LinkedIn, apart from just starting to create? Biggest piece of advice, I would say to be patient, but also to be productive over busy. I think that's a big one for me that I've learned this year. Um, mm. I've had, last year I went through a phase of, you know, if I'm not scrolling, if I've got nothing to do, I'll scroll and I'll write content on LinkedIn, I'll engage with everyone. I would do all the kind of things that not a lot of people see. But I did get burnout a couple of times throughout that process. Um, and I just thought, oh, I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. I've got to keep going. But the more I've gone into 2023 was, I was speaking to people like Kim Peral, who is, you know, investor in Jay Shetty's, um, Jay Shetty's um, key brand. Um, mm. People like this is obviously communicating through the comments is being productive is where the real work gets done. Um, and not just being busy for the fun of it. So when you've got something to do, put your all into that and get it done. But if you are kind of, you know, you're slightly less busy, you haven't got that many important tasks to do, which there will be moments. I think a lot of people think a startup is always going up. You're always busy. You have to be doing something, but that's not the case. You know, you will have quiet moments. For example, now we're waiting on the manufacturers to get to us. Um, so we are on a quiet period within Cupsley. So this is a time where I'm, you know, recharging, I'm spending time with my loved ones, I'm spending time with my family, I'm going to the gym. Um, so yeah, I think that's the biggest lesson I've learned is don't be busy just, just to be busy, be productive. And when you're fully invested, go for it and just get the tasks that need to be done and then enjoy the downtime with the people that mean the most to you. That's a really good bit of advice because people, a lot of people will just say, no, just do as much as you possibly can. But actually, yeah. I completely agree that if you're productive over being busy, a lot of people would just sort of post on LinkedIn and then just scroll for hours or check back all the time and just try yeah. to see what's going on. And it's, it's such a time burner because that little notification red thing on the, on the top of the screen, that will go red for so many things on LinkedIn. That will go red for people posting, commenting, liking anything. You don't necessarily need to look at that stuff if it's not part of your strategy. I think that's a really good bit of advice to sort of be productive over busy or just do the things that need to be done and then fight it's boundary yeah. setting isn't it literally boundary setting i think yeah i i 100 agree boundary i used to have that amazing like an hour and a half morning routine which everyone raves about you know you've got to get up you've got to go to the gym you've got to go ice bath you've got to go on a run you've got to do all this but now like i just get up and i get to work i get up i grab a coffee and then i'm at my desk um and then i'm just working and then i i do go to the gym i take about a two hour break in between and I go to the gym and that's where I'm just like with myself, with my own thoughts, you know, just doing what I need to do in there. Cause you know, health will, will always come first. Um, and I used to neglect that. I used to be like, I'm too busy. Um, last year, 
to be able to go to the gym, but I was too busy because I was doing unnecessary tasks of scrolling LinkedIn, of doing stupid things that don't really move you forwards in that moment. Um, where this year it's been being productive and being the, the fittest and healthiest I've ever been. And I've already seen the difference and it's only what, 31st of January, which is, which is wild. It's just, you've got to keep it up. That's the thing now. Like <laughs> yeah. you've got to, tomorrow it starts again, it starts from zero, 1st of Feb, 100%. Yeah. That's awesome. What's, what's something on LinkedIn that you would say ha, is the worst <laughs> advice or something that you would say, just don't do it. It's the biggest waste of time. Something that you see and you go, I wouldn't be doing that. Is there something that you can think of? in your LinkedIn journey that you, where you, you now know is not worth doing? Yeah, I used to engage with everyone and anyone. Mm. And it goes back to positioning yourself as a brand. Because, um, you know, people are looking up to you now as a part of a relationship with Cupsy, for example, with me. And it's like, would I really be connecting with these people on the outside? Or am I just doing it just to help the algorithm to do all this kind of stuff? So I think it's been you know, really impactful with the comments or with the the content you put out there. Don't just engage with everyone because it because it gets you out there to everyone, but be very, very specific with the people you do engage with. You know, leave that statement that people remember you for, but make sure it's to the right people. Um, you know, I say this all the time, but like your aim isn't to please 70% of people, you know, um, sorry, you're, you will upset 70% of people. But the 30% of people that really care will be the people that matter the most to you and will be the people that buy into you and your story as well. So, yeah, don't please everyone and be really impactful with the stuff you do You do put out there. It's a really good way of thinking about it, isn't it? Like if you wouldn't, if you wouldn't connect with them on the street if you walk past someone or if it's someone that you know you're connected with on LinkedIn but you wouldn't stop on the street and say hello, why are you connecting with them? Because ultimately you're going to build that it's almost like building the, the wall around your community, isn't it? If you think about LinkedIn or yeah. any social media as a community, you want to protect the people inside it, add value, talk to them, yeah. but only if you can add value. I, I keep going back to, you know, the way that you interact on LinkedIn. You will only comment if you can add value. And I think that's, yeah. or, or to congratulate, it's not like you're going to scroll past someone's birthday and ignore them, yeah. but like you will always add value. I think that's really, really, I think it's really powerful. So what is your your sort of, not goal, but what are your, uh, what's your outlook for 2024? What would you be happy if you achieved? What are you looking for? You've already touched on health. I imagine that's a big part of it. What's what's something else you're looking for in this year? Launch. That is the uh, the number one goal for us. I think is just to get a product out there. Because um, mm. as soon as we get the product out there, you know that's when the real excitement begins, where we can start collecting data. We can start you know, seeing what resonates with our audience the most, we can start testing things. Um, but also we're shooting a, our first marketing campaign very soon, which Rachel's doing, which will be exciting. So hopefully get that done within the next two months or so. Um, and then, yeah, get the product out there to the world and see what happens. And are you going to star in the, in the content? I am not. No, unfortunately not. Not the first one anyway. Potentially maybe the, the ones that go the ones in the future but no not at the moment i still need to get confident a camera yeah you stay behind the uh behind the scenes that's brilliant yeah um so what would be, what advice would you give someone so someone who's listening to this maybe they've got a business that's maybe struggling or they're just thinking of starting that business or starting to roll the ball what's the sort of advice you would give someone from from your point of view who started multiple businesses when, when they're right at the beginning of their stage what could you help them with I think it's just that research, getting really clarification on 
if the problem's big enough because i think a lot of people have the ideas but there's no real big problem behind it um so i'd say yeah making sure the idea and the problem is a necessity uh, people generally care about um, but also don't reach out to their your friends and the people around you like jump on linkedin and ask people that don't know you whatsoever because your friends are going to give you an answer that you'll probably like or dislike. They'll probably say, I don't think it's a good idea. Or they'll probably say, I like the idea. Where reach out to random people and ask them and they'll give you your honest, honest feedback. Or if not, for example, me, I just went into Costa and my gym, my gym's got a cafe and I was just like, I've got this idea. I've shown them photos. What do you think? And they're like, like, I haven't seen anything like this before. This is like really cool. So I just, just put yourself out there, be proactive. Um, and just really, really clarify your your idea and go for it. It's such a good way of doing it as well, isn't it? And it's, people are going to be sound, listen to this and, and think it's daunting because no one wants rejection, right? But you've got to have, yeah. we had Spencer Lodge on the podcast recently and he was like, if you go out looking for 100 no's, 100 rejections, you're not going to be disappointed because you'll be, you have that dopamine hit if I achieved it. Yeah. Whereas if you go out looking for 100 yeses, you're immediately going to take those hits and it's going to, it's going to really hurt you. I've yeah. got to ask, actually, why, I, go on, no, you answer, you go, you go. I was going to say, I think it goes back as well, like, I just listened to, about, I think it was two months ago, I want to say, when, on Stephen Bartlett's podcast, where, um, Brian Chesky, Airbnb CEO, um, was, you know, looking for investment with his Airbnb, not what it is now, and tons and tons of people said no to him, and one person did, and now Airbnb is probably in pretty much every single country around the world. Um, so it just shows you all it takes is that one person to really see your vision and it can go from there. Yeah, exactly. And the other one, I don't know if it was on Stephen Bartlett's, but maybe think of it straight away is that I think it is, is it Uber? I want to say it's Uber, but in my head it's Uber Eats, where the guy came over from San Francisco to work in London and he, they were working late in the, in the city and they said, should we order some food? And people said, you can't, it's not really an option. You can get kebabs or yeah. just eat and that's it. And he, everyone said, let's go and get a Tesco's meal deal. And this guy was like, we're all on six figure salaries. We should be able to order some nice food in. And he just designed, I want to say Uber Eats. It's one of those things, isn't it? One of the gig economy. Yeah, it's going to be Uber Eats or Deliveroo or something like that. Deliveroo, probably. it was Deliveroo. Deliveroo, Deliveroo. you're exactly right. And effectively, both of those people have solved their own issues, haven't they? And it sounds like that's what you're doing. You've, you're solving your own issue. And you've also quantified it by asking other people. And everyone's like, yeah, we'll have a piece of this. So who do you think you're, not who your competitors are, but what's, your, what's going to stop you from exploding? Good question. I think it comes back to position as well. You know, being... Being very picky with how we position ourselves, you know, if someone comes to us and they offer us this, but it's not quite where the brand sits and giving in, I think that could cost us. Um, we need to be really strict with, you know, our, our destination is here. Let's just stay on track, not looking at kind of the quick wins. Let's just mm -hmm. go and do this because we've got this offer. It's, you know, we're not looking to sell out instantly. You know, we're in it for the long game of, five to 10 years until we start seeing real, real, really big traction. So I think it's just avoiding them distractions of, oh, this could work for us because it's a quick win. And just being being very picky with, like I said, what who we work with um, and why we do it. I think the why is the big part of this because we're trying to make a difference. 
and we're trying to make you know sustainability more fashionable um so that's kind of the starting point for us i think there's such a strong brand story in there and i think throughout this uh episode we've spoken a lot about your founder story as well which is so powerful i've got to ask what why cupsley where did the name come from i'll be honest with you it was a random random thing i think i i seen happy cups was one of my ideas when i first started and i think there was I think it was Cupsley with a K as well. And then we just resulted in Cupsley. It was just a random find and we just started doing it. I think we had Cupsy as well. And nice. then we, we eventually found Cupsley um, and it went from there really. It was just a random find. There's not really much meaning behind it. I think everyone expects a business to have a massive meaning behind the name. Um, but no, we were just, a, it was a random find. We kind of, which is messing around and it came to us, which was, which is yeah, cool. perfect. I think it's almost, almost cooler, isn't it? Like, you know, perfect Ted yeah. on Dragon's Den and they literally yeah. named it after like, just, it's just perfect. And then the guy's called Ted. He's like, there you go. That was it. It's like, it's like Nike as well. Like they just literally paid a random person. I think, I don't know what Nike was called beforehand, but yeah. then they had some random guy come up with it. And Phil was like reading his book and he was like, I don't even like Nike. Like I literally don't like the name. And now what multi, multi billion billion dollar company and That's it's just like book. yeah yeah it's a really good book have you seen the film the uh the jordan one the, the shoe uh, dog one shoe dog one yeah yeah oh it's Insane. mega isn't it because they also pay like they pay a lady at 30 dollars to do the nike tick and nike he doesn't tick. like that yeah. either he's like it's just terrible just crack on and that just goes to show you that um sometimes taking the biggest risk is the best risk is the best reward sorry like on that film, touching basis with Michael Jordan going, oh, he's, I think it was the sixth, sixth person they were going to select. And they were like, do we do this? Do we have color? And just going, we'll pay the fine anyway to get exposure out there. Yes. Yeah. And they did it and then they smashed it. So exactly. It's taken, I think it's hundred percent. There's so much to be said for just like taking risks and like taking on that employee. Maybe, maybe it's a bit too early to take them on, but you never know what the return's going to be and taking those big steps. And like, I think that, you keep coming back to positioning and I think that's so important because someone could offer you like you could launch and then B&M in the UK is like a um, people that aren't in the UK is like a sort of a cheaper real you know cheaper shop they might offer you yeah. I don't know a million quid for all your stock but then you've positioned yourself so far removed from where you want to be that you've got to yeah. stay in your lane and stay positioned to where you want to go and I think if you can do that I, I completely agree that's where that's where the power comes from that's where Cupsley is born, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's just all about staying true to who you are as a brand. You mm. know, we, we don't want, it sounds bad, but we don't want to be for everyone. You know, we want to be for the people that are really aiming for greatness. You know, they're people that have been doubted and now they're much more alive, say, and you know the CEOs of big companies, you know your big lawyers, everything like that. People have just literally gone from nothing to something. They're the people that we really, really want to attract. I think it's mega. I think I think there's so much to be said for building the movement first, then building out your brand strategy and looking at you know almost a longer term plan, a two year plan of how you're going to do it. I think there's so much momentum behind you, and I think it's going to be I think it's going to be awesome. So it's um it's yeah. been amazing. It's been really really cool to talk to you now. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Freddie.